Hello all to today's thought-provoking episode of Fog the Money, a podcast series that takes you on a gripping journey into the intricate web of money laundering and fraud and their profound impact on our global financial system. I'm your host, Brandon McLean, and I'm a co-founder of Regulation Asia, and I'm passionate about shedding light on these critical issues. In today's discussion, we'll delve into the dark and underbelly of illicit activities through which criminals exploit the environment for personal gain. So hopefully at the end of this discussion, we'll all have a better appreciation and awareness of these pressing global issues. It's been a year since the events that prompted the start of the most comprehensive and internationally coordinated sanctions in history to be imposed against Russia. Sanctions continue to dominate geopolitics and global business dynamics. From Iran and Russia to Afghanistan, China and Venezuela, they've all made news in recent weeks, but these are just five of the roughly 23 countries that the US is currently sanctioning around the world. From disrupting supply chains through processing payments, financial institutions and companies across the globe are likely to face an increasingly volatile sanctions landscape in the coming years. And this This is what brings us here today to talk to Kimberly Tan, Country Sanctions Officer at Citibank, to explore the challenges the banks have when dealing with third-party records, maintaining supply chain due diligence, and more importantly, the road ahead for financial institutions as they start to navigate the global sanctions landscape. Kimberly, welcome. Hi, Brett. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. I mean, before we keep delve into a lot of these kind of really pressing issues, I just wanted to know, I mean, has sanctions always been your focus and what got you into it? Well, I actually started my career about 12 years ago in the AML space. So I've always been in the kind of um, AML, AFC space, but I really kind of uh, specialized in sanctions in the past five years. So I must say that it's been an exciting time so far. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the last five years have definitely been exciting. I mean, we've mentioned already, you know, the recent news about Iran, Russia, Afghanistan, China and Venezuela. But, yeah, there are 23 countries in total that the U.S. is currently sanctioning around the world. I mean, when you look at your own work, have you noticed a spike in red flags from sanction-related activities through, I guess, you know, the basics such as the use of shell companies or last-minute changes in shipping instructions or are you seeing that state-backed bad actors are getting more creative in the way they approach evasion? Well, to be honest, Brad, from my perspective, to be honest, uh, many of the red flags and sanctions evasion techniques are not new. For example, like you mentioned, the use of front or shell companies, obfuscation of ownership, complex structures, certain trade routes. These are all commonly used known typologies adopted by bad actors in order to evade sanctions for a long, long time, right? The areas in which we probably have seen more change are uh, where it has become even easier for these bad actors to make use of these typologies. For example, by leveraging on new advancements and technologies in order to invade sanctions. Take for for instance, how much easier it has become to transfer ownership now or to obscure payments with the use of blockchain or cryptocurrencies. The underlying evasion techniques may be similar, but the availability and ease of how these can be achieved have definitely made our lives as sanctions compliance professionals much more complex. Um, I think certainly as things further evolve, bad actors are going to continue to find newer, better, faster ways to circumvent sanctions. So, you know, it's really important for us to constantly stay relevant and continually update update our programs as well. So, to be honest, 
it, it, it's a little bit surprising you mentioned the term not new, right? Because it obviously means these older approaches are very successful if they're still deploying it. Is it as simple as old problems, new tools, or is there some other challenge when it comes to, to managing and mitigating this kind of sanctions evasion? Well, I think honestly, it's it's both probably. Um, it's just that typologies, well, I would say they've just always been the same, but the way um, they've been used or the way that bad actors are leveraging on them has has just been more and more advanced. And sometimes it does seem like we're struggling to catch up, right? I mean, take, for example, um, regulations and controls, how they've, how they've evolved. So, for example, in recent years, I would say sanction screening of, cl- of clients has now become the bare minimum, right? Would anyone be able to rationalize a simple list-based screening, let's say, as adequate when it comes to sanctions compliance. Um, regulations and requirements have become more and more intricate and complex. Sometimes they can even seem like a shifting goalpost, right? Um, on top of the regulations, there's also now regulatory expectations around due diligence and how much FIs need to be aware of certain risks and ring fencing them accordingly. So now, for example, the discussions are no longer around knowing your customer, right? But knowing your customers' customers, knowing your counterparties, uh, where does it stop, right? Or what what point does it become untenable, keeping in mind that you're trying to make money and your business interests, right? So I, I think the key here at the end of the day, actually, is just to be able to justify whether your firm could or could not have reasonably known that a specific sanction risk exposure exists? And could you have done something about it or implemented additional controls to mitigate that risk? So should you, could you have known about it? Could you have done something else to prevent it? Um, Honestly, there are no foolproof systems or programs that can completely diminish the sanctions risk. But I guess the question would be whether you have done everything you can to minimize it within reason, taking into account, you know, the challenges and how quickly the situations change and evolve at this point of time. It's super interesting when you really highlight the difference between regulations and expectations. I guess more importantly, you know, when does the process stop? So as I understand, you're based in Singapore, and I mentioned many countries at the start, only one of them are actually in Asia. So when considering uh, the challenges of Asia, are there unique pain points for this part of the region? And I guess more importantly, are the unique aspects of how this part of Asia is used by bad actors in sanctions avoidance? Well, I I think in Asia, many of the countries here, um, we are uniquely attractive in terms of, you know, our economies and and they're they're definitely still attractive to these bad actors so even though you mentioned that not or like only one of the countries is in Asia I think at the same time you know we are still in a vulnerable place so-called and especially when you think about the regulators as well I don't think they really consider that the sanctioned countries are not really within Asia because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all on a global landscape. And I think now, given advancements in technology and interconnectivity, it's not so much um, so in terms of whether the sanctioned country is near us, but really it's just the risk is just global all around, I would say. Interesting. I mean, I I like the way you put it, a vulnerable place. I mean, Given your, your work, your experience, uh, are there any recent notable examples of sanction breaches uh, or maybe even penalties that you, you see could act as a warning to others? Well, I, I would say that sanctions, breaches and penalties of late seem to be a dime a dozen, right? But I think um, 
in terms of learning points from these these breaches, there are a few key takeaways that you know it's important for each firm to take note of. So I would think that like first of all, the sheer number and the amounts involved demonstrate how seriously regulators are taking sanctions, right? And this is unlikely to change in the near future. Um, second of all, sanctions compliance programs need to be commensurate with your firm size, business risk. There's definitely no one-size-fits-all approach and controls need to be implemented in accordance with your exposure and the risks that are very specific to your firm. Thirdly, um, sanctions compliance is definitely a continuous ongoing process and controls need to be regularly assessed and tweaked to account for emerging risks or other changes. So, you know, purely maintaining a control that had been implemented years ago without any subsequent review is unlikely to hold you in good stead with regulators. So, for example, like when we talked about sanction screening of clients, how that may have been um, a, an adequate control um, when it was when sanctions first came into play. Um, definitely now, you know, it's a lot more complex than that. Um, well, then there's also the need for end-to-end -end management of a sanctions compliance program which would necessarily include consideration of supply chain risks and oversight over firm-wide implementation of controls or even outsourcing. So, you know, um, nowadays, like I mentioned, it's, it's such a global business everywhere. You would need to consider the risks and the program um, to your firm globally. And last of all, the aspect of extraterritoriality and its implications. So, for example, the applicability of certain sanctions regimes and how a jurisdictional nexus may or may not be obvious or immediately apparent, but may ultimately still apply and be enforced. So I think these are some of the learning points that I've really taken away from re uh, recent enforcement actions. And I think it's important for you know, each company to really keep these in mind when implementing your sanctions compliance program. You'd mentioned, you know, size and risk. Does this mean that smaller institutions who are maybe less sophisticated uh, are potentially at greater risk than larger institutions? And if so, how do you manage this type of third-party risk? Well, I, I don't think it's really a case of less or more risk. I think it's really the kind of investment or structure that you can make around your sanctions compliance program, which keeping in mind the risk specific to your firm. So even though, you know, a firm might be small, um, they may not have the amount or the ability to actually invest in such a complex sanctions compliance program. But then you would also need to keep in mind, you know, the, the risk specific to that smaller firm and mitigate them accordingly. So I think it's really about tailoring and structuring um, in accordance to the, to the risk that, are really specific to your firm. Sanctions have obviously been incredibly high profile. A number of announcements from very large corporates, especially when we're dealing with Russia, I guess, over the past 12 to 18 months. I mean, are you seeing that companies are really looking at exploring strategies, how they can ensure they're not dealing with prohibited entities or supplying restricted goods? Mm, well, Brett, I, I would say, of course, having a robust sanction screening system would be the most basic strategy to guard against sanctions violations. Um, I mean, I use the word basic, but honestly, again, there's nothing really basic about it, right? When you talk about screening, there's different types of lists, different types of screening to be done. For example, screening of, screening of names against lists of sanctioned parties, screening of underlying goods against restricted or dual-use goods, screening of addresses, countries against comprehensively sanctioned locations. Um, then there's algorithms to be set, parameters, settings, fuzzy logic, thresholds, 
when you apply all these to client and transaction screening, you know, all these combined really make for a, a very complicated set of rules to be put in place that need to help you catch what you need to. And at the same time, balancing the burden of false positives and stress on resources against the potential sanctions risk exposure. And not to mention, you know, like we said, the need for regular reviews and tweaking to account for new and emerging risks. And that's just um, purely sanctioned screening alone, right? Which is which is what we said is not sufficient anymore. So on top of that, you also need to have, you know, appropriate due diligence measures, additional research, other controls um, around preventing prevention and detection um, of sanctions, evasion, typologies and techniques as well. So it's really important, you know, just to keep um, staying on top of things and, and keeping abreast of new typologies and, and cha the changing environment as well. You'd mentioned a changing environment. I mean, three US agencies have recently issued a compliance note on the use of third-party intermediaries or transshipment points, including the UAE and Turkey, to evade Russian, Belarusian-related sanctions and export controls. I mean, are you noticing any trends in the use of third countries in sanction-busting networks? Well, again, I, I, I don't think this is anything new per se, honestly. Um, sure, this, this may be newer in relation to Russia, given the re relative recency of the sanctions around Russia. But I feel like these typologies have also been associated with North Korea, Iran, even as money as a money laundering technique. So the sanctions evasion techniques associated with certain jurisdictions or third countries, you know, maybe due to lax regulations, sympathetic regimes, neutrality, or sheer geographic proximity. So these have always meant that in relation to sanctions, certain geographic risks need to be monitored, considered, accounted for, scrutinized to account for these additional potential risks that come in dealing with transactions involving these countries. So I don't think um, it's anything new and specific to Russia, but it's just, you know, the, the geographic risks have always been something that would need to be considered when you talk about sanctions compliance. I mean, we've talked about Russia a fair bit, but beyond Russia, where else is on your, your radar for the coming year? Well, I would definitely say um, I think Russia will continue to still be in the spotlight. I mean, it's slightly more than a year, but sanctions continue to be implemented. And at the same time, sanctions evasion techniques um, will likely continue to develop and evolve, especially as the full impact of these sanctions are uh, felt and take effect. Other than that, I would say the U.S. situation tensions with China and Iran may also result in changes to both, you know, the general sanctions landscape and specific sanctions programs in relation to these countries as well. I mean, do you have any other expectations for, you know, changes in uh, sanctions regulation or enforcement over the coming months? And I guess more importantly, um, how are FIs potentially preparing for these developments? Well, if the unprecedented sanctions on Russia have taught me anything, is that no one ever really knows. Um, I think if you were to ask any sanctions compliance professional, they may have told you that they expected something was coming in relation to Russia. But I don't think anyone could ever have predicted the speed and scale at which the Russia sanctions were issued when they did come. So we may see similar situations playing out in relation to other countries, but um, on top of that, I think enforcement actions will definitely continue to grow as well, keeping in mind, you know, strict liability, high impact, zero, to zero tolerance associated with sanctions. So um, 
I think that at the end of the day, the only way to be prepared really is to know as much as you can, again, within reason. So, you know, knowing your customers, know your supply chain, know your business, um, know your intended growth or business plans, identify um, both existing and potential risk areas so that once, you know, new programs or changes are announced, we can take action as soon as possible rather than scramble to react. So, you know, the only thing I, I would really say, and I know for sure, again, is that it's an exciting time to be in the sanctions industry. <laughs> yeah, serendipitous, right? Exciting times, but obviously very complicated for sanctions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm using exciting as a euphemism here. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. And unfortunately, with that, we're out of time. Uh, we've obviously only just started to scratch the surface today. Still, we welcome everyone who's joined in to our upcoming Fraud and Financial Crime Asia 2023 Summit on the 13th of July in Singapore, or please visit regulationasia.com to learn more about our work underway across the region to address sanctions, busting and evasion. Thank you, Kimberly Tan, for being so generous with your insights today and everyone for joining today's discussion. Thank you, and we look forward to speaking with everyone again very soon.